Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Miriam Sankula, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. Thank you so much for having me, Jules. My absolute pleasure. Now, I don't know that much about you, so this is going to be great. I can really find out all all the nitty gritty. But the first thing is, do you want to tell everybody what it is that you do? Mm-hmm. So I have a business called Property Mavens, that's M-A-V-E-N-S. A lot of people don't know what that word means, but it's otherwise uh, can be known as an expert. So I established mm-hmm. the business in 2012. We're an independent ad- property advocacy firm. So I help um, investors, upgraders, downsizers to buy and sell property so they can yep. seamlessly move forward into the next stage of their lives. Beautiful. Now, aren't you also doing something else? Wasn't there something we were talking about recently about teaching agents to become advocates or something? Yeah, I franchise that business model. So I basically um, have a very successful methodology that I work with. And I have an established brand, a media profile, a best-selling book. And advocacy is a space that more and more people are getting into. A lot of selling agents are transitioning into it. But they think they know what an advocate is, but they don't because... What, what is an advocate, I was just going to okay, say? Okay, all right. So, yeah, so a buyer agent or a vendor advocate. So as a buyer's yeah. agent, uh, so as a selling agent will work for the seller or the vendor. So they yeah. have a legal agreement where that agent tries to get them the highest price and the best conditions. Yeah. As a buyer agent, a client will engage me legally to help them find property, assess it, and to negotiate the lowest possible price in terms of... Oh, that's clever. I didn't even know that was around. Oh, really? Oh, right. yeah, and, no. Been doing... Okay, and then, so that's a buyer's agent. So what's an advocate? Buyer's agent advocate is the same. So you're basically okay. advocating for and representing your client. So you're flipping the you're flipping the real estate agents to care about the people who are buying rather than... The well, pe- well, well, not instead of, but no, I guess... No, I'm protecting the buyer because so many people get ripped off, make mistakes, um, give away information unwittingly, pay too much, miss out on property, make bad decisions. So they don't yeah. have independent and unbiased advice. So my role is to provide independent and unbiased advice. Um, I love it. So, so, and where are you based? I mean, have you are you trying to build this up as a national thing, yeah. or is this just a Victoria? Yeah. So I'm in Victoria at the moment, and personally, I buy Melbourne wide. I buy in Ballarat, Geelong, Bendigo. So there's a regional presence as well. But yeah. the franchise is going into state. So we're looking at New South Wales, Queensland, and South Australia. So I'm in the process of looking for master franchisees. And it's as much about scaling my business to bring in more advocates to, again, help more consumers, make help them make really good decisions when it comes to property. Because when yeah. people make bad decisions, it can ruin their life. Well, yeah, it's such a major thing, isn't it? It's just like, I mean, don't they say it's the, one of the biggest purchases or the biggest purchase you'll ever make in your life? Certainly the way prices are these days, you're not going to find a lot of things more expensive. People research. They do more research on buying the next iPhone than they research on buying a property. It just it, <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me. It's like you're making a 300, 600, 800,000 million, multi-million dollar investment. Why would you not get independent advice to help you? And it's not about, you know, everyone's had a parent who's bought one property, but not all property is the same. You know, you can't. No. 
you're not comparing an apple to an apple to an apple. You're looking at an apple and a banana and orange and how do you know which one's better and what are the That's right. And and you can't just go, I like the kitchen, so I'm going to go for that house because it might have rotting floorboards or whatever. Absolutely. (laughs) And honestly, I've, I've bought hundreds and hundreds of properties for clients over the last decade. And it never ceases to amaze me. Every time I look at buying a property with a client, we always have a contract review done. We always get a building and pest report done. And I can be up against multiple bidders and none of them have spent 600 bucks on a building and pest report. And they don't know what the problems are with that property. And there are times where I've not gone into bid at all because of the the problems with it. And then I see first home buyers getting in there and negotiating away not realising they've bought $30,000 worth of building problems because oh. they didn't bother spending $600 on a report. But I think, but I do think you've got a big educational thing in front of you, which is people don't know what they don't know. It's the same thing about going to a car mechanic as a woman with a bloke who knows, who can talk their language and kind of interpret for you. I guess the same thing with what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I've written a best-selling book called Property Prosperity and I did that to educate consumers exactly about, you don't know what you don't know. Here's how the industry works. The first 40 pages is all about smoke and mirrors and con men and the spin that you're going to get and what to watch out for and questions to ask. And then it's about the fundamentals of investing. Because if we look at the share market that's an asset class yeah um, property is an asset class but not yep. all properties are the same and you have a grade b grade c grade properties and how do you know which one's which so i wrote my book to help people protect themselves in the buying process to mm-hmm. educate themselves to, about what to look for what to stay away from to understand what growth drivers are that influence a property's ability to grow in value um, to understand yeah, right. the negotiation process and how negotiation and auctions work and where to be careful and wary yeah great risk profiling so- all of that sort of stuff Okay, brilliant so why did you do this in the first place what why are you interested well firstly why did you set it up in terms of a, an advocacy and then why are you going with the franchise model? Yeah, so I suppose I left home at 17. My parents were divorced. I didn't grow up with financial education. You know, my parents were immigrants, so I didn't have anyone mentoring me or supporting me when it came to investing. And I, I bought my first property at, I think I was 24. So really? I, yeah, worked really That's, hard. Is that, is that pretty young? I mean, I would oh, have thought that was very was. young. Yeah, back yeah. then it really was. Even now. Yeah, but I, I worked, like I've been out of home since 17. I hated the fact that I was renting. I didn't like not having my own stability and security. So having a home was really important to me. Yeah. Um, because I did a bit of a stint in a foster home at 13 and I felt what it was like to have the rug pulled out from under my feet and I didn't ever want to be in that position again. It's always amazing. There is always a story behind the story. And I will, I'm going to grill you a whole lot more about, about your life. But specifically, what was it that made you decide to set up the advocacy business and then and yeah, was there a light bulb moment was there, there I'd, I'd had about a decade where I'd bought and sold property and I'd made a lot of mistakes because I took advice from the wrong people which were the selling agents yeah um, and because they had their interests at heart not mine of course I it's cost me thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years because I listened to the wrong people for the wrong advice. And then eventually I stumbled into real estate as a career and then eventually I stumbled into um, the advocacy side of it. And I suppose the light bulb moment that you mention is I um, probably 10 years ago became very ill. I had chronic fatigue. I couldn't work full time. In real estate, you're either seven days a week or you're not in it. 
Yeah. And I literally thought, well, I know advocacy, I'll start up my own business because I can do that part-time until I get better. Um, yep. And I spent a year getting that up and running to the point where eventually I could work full-time and then, bang, I've got a business and off I went, off I went running with a career. And then what made you, was there something that triggered the idea of franchising it and going national? Yeah, I, <laughs> respectfully, <laughs> I don't like having staff. <laughs> um, I'm the, with you on that one, high five. <laughs> they're the biggest pain and, and they've caused me the most grief I've ever had in my business. It's Oh gosh, been, that bad. I didn't realise it was oh, that bad. Oh yeah, just I've had a really bad run of life. Run, of, when run of people. Yeah, and I just kind of went, you know what, I don't want staff. I'd rather have franchisees because they're accountable. You know, yes. staff frequently don't like being accountable, whereas franchisees are accountable to themselves. Um, That's right. And they've got skin in the game. You know, they're not entitled. They're not going to sit there and expect the world for nothing. <laughs> um, you know. You're sounding a bit bitter and twisted there, but I know where you're coming from. <laughs> and I thought, well, how do I get my methodology out, which is so incredibly successful, and scale it nationally, because I can't be everywhere, and give yeah. real estate agents an opportunity to get a really big piece of the pie? Because unfortunately, I'm in an industry where, A, women get very few opportunities to buy into a real estate business because it's a boys' yeah. club. B, traditional selling is an enormous capital outlay. And I wanted to create something that I initially targeted specifically for women um, so that they could affordably buy their own business. It was all set up like a business in a box and then off they could go running from home. Oh, so you are specifically kind of looking for women. Well, I was, but I've had to pivot. You've opened it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Well, if there's any women listening who've been even thinking about it, please contact Miriam. But let's just keep going back. I want to hear about your whole entrepreneurial journey and can we actually... Uh, and and obviously we won't if you don't want to talk about it, but you did touch on the fact that you ended up in foster care as well. So that And that obviously had a profound effect on you. So take me through your life. <laughs> and we've got loads of time. So tell me the stories. My heritage is I'm half Italian and half German. Okay. So I usually tell people I'm a mixture of a, a Porsche and a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> And it's really interesting because when it comes to the buying side, the Italian in me never wants to pay full price for anything. <laughs> and the, the German is highly organised, systematic, crosses T's, dots I's, organised to the hell and back. What star sign are you? Are you a Virgo? I'm an Aries. Aries. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It must be the German in you then. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a fiery little Aries. And it's interesting, my mother being a hot-headed Italian and me being a fiery little Aries, we banged heads a lot growing up when I was growing up and at one stage she decided for no reason other than I was hormonal and she didn't know what to do with me as you are as a teenager. You're not going to tell me this is how the foster care came out? Yeah. yeah she, no. Yeah, she put me in a foster home for three Wow, months. that's big. My mum probably would have loved to but I don't think she would have done it. No, but to give it context and to be fair for my, to my mum because I have forgiven her. Because it does sound a bit horrific. Okay, so now tell us. I was with a gorgeous, very religious family. They were a bit uptight but that was right. fine. They were lovely and I was yeah. with them for three months and look, I was an A-grade student at the time, so I wasn't misbehaving. I was just banging heads with my mother. And she was obviously teaching you a lesson, though. I mean, oh, most yeah, mothers totally. would just oh, yeah. go to your dad and go, she's be not behaving herself, go and sort it out. Or as my mother used to do when we had arguments, right, that's it, and off she'd go down to the beach house or something for four days and oh, lucky her. calm down there. <laughs> but your mum just sent you away. That's right. But to give it context, she was a, a child growing up during World War II yeah. in Italy. 
Um, at the age of 11, she got sent away from home to live with relatives to go and work with them and earn money for the family. Right. So her frame of reference was, well, I left, got sent away from home at 11, so if I can do it, I can do it to you. Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking about this. Kylie Stone interviewed me in a podcast and... When I was eight, my parents, my dad was in the British Army and, and we lived in Germany, but I was sent to boarding school in England oh, okay. by myself with my teddy bear in my arm. Mum would wave goodbye at the airport and I'd see that. And my younger brother, who was seven, did the same thing. And and we were talking about it because in some ways it gives you an independent... I mean, it'll, it, it either makes you very insecure, I think, because you're always moving around, or it just gives you a sense of independence and it obviously worked for you and it worked for me. But, I mean, it wouldn't be everyone's cup of tea. And that is profoundly shocking to hear that she did that. Well, she didn't She didn't consciously know. She didn't consciously under... Look, my mother wasn't an educated woman. Um, right. So, so she thought you were just getting, going away for a few months. Well, no, she thought that I was just behaving badly. I don't think she put it down to being a hormonal teenager because you know what we're yeah. like when we're yes. a, a hormone. I don't think she understood that's what it was. I think she was naive and thinking that I was just being difficult. And I right. think for her it was a solution to buy us all some time. And, of course, I came back, I came back home, but she was a bit of a witch. She used to then threaten me that if I didn't, you know, you were heading off again that I'd be out again at 16 so and this was this um insecurity that I didn't like and the lack of control in my life that I didn't like which is totally understandable just tell me do you have any brothers or sisters I've got one older brother and what what happened did he get sent away no well see the thing is in an Italian household the the boy is the god the son (laughs) is the golden child yeah. Um, and the sun emanates from everywhere, apparently, if you've got that little bit of extra skin on your body. <laughs> oh, sorry, I've just got to laugh. I've got three brothers as well, and my mum's Irish. Oh. But I would say the same thing. I would say, you know, there's a certain a little bit of sunshine that comes out of a part of their anatomy Correct, that yes. doesn't seem to come out of girls' bottoms. Yes, that's right. So he could basically get away with blue murder, and I was the A-grade student that got sent, sent away for three months. And, look, it was traumatic. I mean, I remember crying after the first week where I was allowed to visit home and saying to mum I wanted to Oh, so to you were home. allowed to have weekly visits? I was allowed weekly visits, yes. Um, But look, the long and the the short was I was with a lovely family. It was nice to be in a household where no one yelled at each other because Italians are loud. Yes. Um, So I got to experience an Aussie household and everyone was very nice and no one yelled or screamed and there were no wooden spoons being flung around at you. (laughs) Wow. Your your, your childhood sounds very like mine. So moving on from the wooden spoons, which my mother had to because she broke through many on our bottoms and so she moved on to a big stick. Um, but anyway, okay, so you, so let's just say that, how old were you when you left home? 17. <laughs> I was going to say, as soon as you possibly could. Yes, And exactly. then what, what did you do? So did you go to uni or did you go straight out into the workforce? What no, was the... I worked for a year. I worked at the local pub and that, mm-hmm. um, I suppose, engendered an interest in the hospitality sector. Yep. And I spent a year, I got my little Terry Tarana at the time and I threw some clothes and my television in the back seat and I drove to Port Douglas and back again along the east coast of Australia, stopping along the way and working. Wow, and you're 18 at that stage. Yeah, That's I was 18. Huge. 
Yeah. Oh, God, I love your story. Keep going. Yeah. I realise now it was a bit risky. I probably only picked up a couple of hitchhikers along the way. But, you know, I just, I had a sense of adventure and I still do. You know, I've got a very adventurous spirit and I'm fairly Mm. courageous by nature. A bit of change is is always fun to me. Oh, totally. So I worked on the Gold Coast. I worked on the Whitsunday Islands. You know, the car only broke down once. I stopped off in Sydney. I, I had this amazing journey up and down the east coast of Australia. Then I came back and I started college. Um, doing a diploma of business studies in hospitality management. Okay. And I did that for three years and very quickly learned: do I want to leave with this qualification, work 100 hours a week and earn 25 grand a year, or do I want to get out and do something else? So I did. Yeah, good idea. I ended up working with the Women's Financial Advisory Service. So nowadays they call it financial planning. Um, Mm -hmm. Back then I was working with Colonial Mutual because I was very passionate about women being financially independent and seeing my parents. I wonder why. I can see in your background exactly why. (laughs) Yeah, but also with my parents getting divorced and mum not being educated and, and, you know, she did well. We had a roof over our head. We ate well. She did whatever jobs she could. Oh, so so when all this happened in your youth, your your dad had left and she was a single mum at that stage. Well, my parents had had divorced, yes. Had a divorce, right, right. I know, well, that sort of makes it a little bit easier to understand. Yeah. Um, Just having teenagers myself, how you might just get to the end of your tether and go, I need a break. Yeah. So, so look, I ended up studying hospitality, as I said. I got into the financial advice sector, which I really enjoyed. I did that for probably three years. And then I ended up working with an accounting practice who had a financial advice division, but I kind of switched into their business development division. They had a particular accounting product um, that they sold, for want of a better word, and I worked with them in New Zealand, South Africa and Australia. Yeah. Um, so I had seven years in New Zealand. I had a few months setting up an office for them in Johannesburg. I came back to Australia and they had a property development division and I ended up working in there. So I didn't consciously choose to go into real estate, but it found me. So I helped them sell a particular development, um, which they call nowadays, they call Managed Investment Scheme Real Estate. And I worked with them off and on over a period of time. I had two stints with them, but in between I was very frustrated. I wanted to do something of my own. And of all things, I went back to hospitality and I set up a little business that had mobile coffee carts. Oh, yeah, cute. Of all things, you know. So being a good Italian, I like coffee. Yeah. Um, so, look, I did that for maybe a year and a half. It wasn't financially viable. I ended up going back into But it was a good experience to understand how to start a business from scratch, what needed yes. to be done from nothing. I- I would say a lot of women probably have that little dabble. I know I, I sort of did something that was a disaster at first. But when you're younger, you also can take those risks. You've got no real responsibility. Um, I, I know at the time, if someone said that to me at the time, I would have been, how dare you? Just sort of rah, rah, rah. But actually, you know, as you grow older, you realise that having mortgages and things are things that you can, are things that you can't take the same risks oh, totally. as you yeah. can when you're unencumbered. Yeah. Well, look, I was in my early 30s at that stage. I had investment properties. I were looking after themselves, but didn't have children. So had nothing to lose. But again, learned very quickly that the money wasn't great. And, um, you know, we know how many hospitality businesses there are yeah. in Australia, particularly Melbourne. So I went back to real estate, but then I pivoted into, um, I ended up in WA for six years and then um, through circumstances ended up getting into 
buyer advocacy or being a buyer's agent while I was there. And then eventually right. I relocated back to Melbourne, did a very short stint in real estate, realised I couldn't sell crap property to people on the guise of it being a good investment because it wasn't. And yeah. that basically got me really clear on the fact that I needed to get back to being a buyer's agent. And then off I went starting my business. And how long ago was that? That was 2012 that I started Property Maven. So it's been going for eight years now. Right. And, and, you know, in another couple of years, you'll be all over the country, I can tell. Absolutely. (laughs) That's the plan. Totally. You know, I really do have a vision to be Australia's go-to brand for consumers who want independent and unbiased property advice. So that is the, that's what I'm working on. Great. Well, you need to, I guess, partner with some of those, um, some of the, I mean, is it, do you, do you also work with people if they're doing new builds, that kind of, those kind of negotiations, or is it all just about buying and selling of properties that are established? Yeah, it's really established properties. For clients, if they're asking me to buy an investment property, I'll never buy new, I'll never buy off the plan, I'll never buy an apartment as a rule. Um, because there are certain fundamentally established properties already been depreciated. The land value is high and it's the land that goes up in value while buildings go down. So yep. that's why I never buy established. So if anyone ever comes across a, a so-called buyer's agent um, and they're trying to sell you something new or off the plan, run a mile, they're not a buyer's agent. They're usually a salesperson pretending to be a buyer's agent. Okay, well, there's some good advice. Yeah. All right, so... Um... What I want to ask you about now, and I don't know whether there are any because obviously you've had an interesting career and I would think that it's been in quite a masculine kind of area, but because this is a show about female founders and women, I always like to ask if there were any women along the way that helped you that you can tell us how they helped you. Yeah, well, certainly I've had lots of advisors that I've um, employed and, and had as consultants in my uh, but has anyone been cheering you on that's helped you with your career? To be honest, probably not, no. Yeah. Not not people that I haven't otherwise paid to work with me. I have to say mine's been a really solo journey. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess ironically when I was in WA I was married and I ended up separating from my husband and wanting to come back home because it was very much... It was a little bit farmer once a wife, you know. He was very much in viticulture in in Margaret River, which is a stunning right. place to be. But it was country. What's vitical- viticulture? Um, is grape wineries. Grape right, growing. right. Yeah, or, or grape growing for the wine industry. Right. So it was country boy, city girl, and I just missed being in Melbourne. Like Melbourne as a city is just stunning. So it is. When I came <laughs> back, I came back separated and and single. Um, and for the last 10 years, you know, my father's since passed away. My mother's got dementia and she's in a nursing home. My brother's interstate and we probably don't get along very well. So we don't really have a, a lot of contact. So I've, no, honestly, I've been really just working hard on my own. And I think it's because I've built up a lot of resilience over the years that... Yes, no doubt you have. Yeah. And also, and the other thing about travelling around a lot in some ways is that you do meet lots of people, but it's hard to keep those, you know, like, I mean, I meet people that say, oh, I've not been best friends with this person since primary school or prep. I mean, I don't have any of that in my background because we moved around so much and it sounds like maybe that's been a challenge. Do you have a have a group of sort of girlfriends who support you? Oh absolutely. I mean I've got I've got different groups of friends. I've got friends who are in business who understand yep. the dynamic of being self employed and running a business. And yep. they're totally different thinkers to my friends who've all got jobs. 
Yeah. So Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. So you have very different conversations because someone who's employed has got no concept or understanding of what it's like being self-employed or running your own business. Um, but look, you know, I've evolved over the years. I've changed. My friendships have changed. Um, yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll see that I'm moving beyond a particular friendship or that friendship is sort of outgrown. Come to, coming to a natural end. Yeah, coming to a natural conclusion just because we're either not aligned or our values aren't aligned or we're just different people. Yeah, I think there are people that come into your life for certain periods yeah. as well. And and what I guess when I was younger and I was really dramatic, I always think of myself as being really dramatic, I would ring them and go, I don't think we can be friends anymore <laughs> or, you know, it would become a big deal. Yeah. Now it's just kind of, you know, if it naturally peters off, I, I would call them still an acquaintance and I'd be happy if I saw them, but I'm not chasing it in quite the same way. All right, so now in your journey, um, there are normally lots of successes and failures along the way and we all celebrate this. I used to say... What have you learned from your successes and failures? But the, what I've learned is that we don't really learn a lot from our successes. We celebrate them and they're fabulous. But where we learn is when things stuff up yeah. um, a lot of the time. Are there any particular times that you think um, something has happened to you that has really helped you kind of get to where you are now? Look, I think firstly being unwell and unable to get a job. Oh, yeah, talk about that. So what happened there? Yeah, look, I just, well, when I came back from Western Australia, um, I kind of relocated Stress. and I, you know, I left my husband, I left my friends, I left my job, I left my dog and I came back to Melbourne. I was pretty well, you know, not homeless, but had to establish myself. I didn't have a job. I didn't, you know, have my own home. And Starting unfortunately, again. three weeks after I got back, my father passed away. Oh, no. And so, you know when they say the three most stressful things that can happen in your life are death, <laughs> yes. death divorce and moving house? And you'd done all of it in, in, in a short period. Yeah, yeah, and it all, and, you know, it was a build-up of things over the years and, you know, leaving home at such a young age and not having the support of family and, you know, I kind of look back now and... and you know, dare I say, I think I was a little bit um, traumatised by my upbringing. And well, I mean, it's it's hardly surprising when you hear about it when you when you're talking with everyone about their backgrounds and you hear something like that, you think it has to have had an effect on yeah, you. Yeah, it did. And for me, when Dad passed away unexpectedly, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because that was your ally, I guess the the one who who had been there for you was well, it? No, to be honest, he wasn't. Unfortunately, oh. my father um, had bipolar, so he really right. struggled with mental health issues. And and oh, I dear. I was taking over. I took over responsibility of caring for him and his affairs and and being his right. power attorney and managing his life for him. So do you think that's what it was that was such a shock having had to do that and then he, he just suddenly passed away? Oh, it was just everything. It was everything yeah. all at once. Plus that, or, yeah, all the rest of the stuff that you had you know, going on it, at the time. It was everything over numerous decades of figuring it out on my own and looking after myself and then looking after Dad and then you know, dad passing away and then the separation and then it was just all of it. It all hit me at once and I ended up um, having, I think, a very much a physical breakdown. Like my body just, everything just hit me all at once. It just really... So what happens on, what happens in that instance? You can't get out of bed in the morning or... Oh, I couldn't or stop Or are you out talking with someone and you just collapse? I mean, how did no, it manifest itself? No, no, no. Itself? Look, I couldn't stop crying. I... Um, oh, my thing. body was really restless because I was in this constant state of anxiety. Um, I, you know, it was emotionally 
exhausted. I probably honestly had an emotional breakdown. At I know. The same I don't time. even know how you had enough energy for the tears. So, how do you fix that? What 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 do you do when you get chronic fatigue? Look, I ended up seeing a lady. Uh, actually, her name's Christine Hart Savage. She <laughs> teaches a breathing technique, and she okay. works with people who suffer from anxiety and stress. And she teaches this breathwork technique to help manage that. And it's just a fascinating um, process that she uses. And it's literally a way of, through breathing, releasing the density and stress that's held within your body. And I've actually continued to work with her over the last eight years. And it's made an enormous difference to my physiology, my peace of mind, my state of being. Um, Wow. Because when people are stressed, you forget to breathe. And right. the intention and everything builds up in your body, whether you're aware of it or not. And while some people might get rid of it through exercise, it still doesn't change the fact that knowing how to breathe properly to release the stress and tension from your body makes an enormous difference. Which I guess, sorry, and this is kind of a left field thing, is why they do laughter therapy and things, because again, it's that release yeah. of the breath. Yeah, exactly. I've done say- laughter therapy in the past Have as you? well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tracy. Um, oh gosh, I've gone blank. Tracy, Tracy, she's the next comedian. She runs laughter therapy courses and stuff. But I have to say that the breath work was one of the most powerful healing modalities I've ever used. Right. Um, and look, so becoming unwell was the pivot. So back to your question, the becoming unwell was a pivot to starting my own business. Yep. And then when I franchised my business model and I targeted specifically to women, what I learned really quickly was the target market was too narrow. There aren't enough women in real estate with the courage or the confidence to go out on their own. So, um, you know, I did bring on... So you're going to have to change that as well because that doesn't sound right, does it? All those women who... Because I I have always thought that women are great at selling because it's a a very different... Oh, we're much better at real estate. And, And if you're buying a home, I would have thought that logically a woman, it would be... Your preference. I don't know why, but I. Well, no, just that's would. exactly right. And a lot of agencies have got exceptional women in their businesses, but because it is such a boys' club, they don't get the opportunity to buy in and they often don't get paid equally and they're not included. You know, there are some really toxic agencies out there. So it doesn't mean I've excluded women. I've now opened the franchise up to everyone, but the alignment yeah. has to be that they're emotionally intelligent. We have to have a values alignment. They've got to be in it for the right reasons. I don't want people whose number one value is all about money because that's not my number one value and that's yeah. not what I'm chasing to do or to make a di- I want to make a difference to people's life, a positive difference in people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, I see I see clients where they might only have 320000 but I'm so respectful of the fact that they trust me because I, they're relying on me to get it right for them and they've only got one chance to get it right. And so yes. whether someone's got three hundred grand or two million, I never take it lightly that they're trusting me to help them make a good decision. And I know I will because I'm such a control freak and, and I've so <laughs> perfected everything that I've done that I get clients fantastic outcomes. But again, that's why I've scaled it. And the pivoting in the franchise was it wasn't a failure. Yes, it was money that was spent and a campaign that didn't work. But now I've just opened the door to a lot more people and oh, um, yeah, targeting everyone. Well, that goes straight back to what do we learn from from the you know the ups and the downs. Well, you tried it; it didn't work, but it's probably pushed you in a slightly different direction. That'll be, and you're right. As long as the values align, we don't really care whether they've got that extra bit of skin or not. True. <laughs> <laughs> Your words. <laughs> I have to go back to the beginning of the interview to know what we're talking about. <laughs> 
I'd like to think people will be listening to the whole thing, so that'll make sense. Okay, so my next question for you is probably a good one, especially when you've been sick. Yeah. How do you juggle work and life? So what sort of hours are you working and are you giving yourself some downtime? Look, absolutely. For me, it's about having balance. And again, that goes to the, the model that I've created because anyone coming in with my um, franchise, typically in the industry, they might only earn 30 or 40% of the commission they generate, whereas my model gives them 84%. Wow. So, but you can run the franchise on that 16%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so well, again, that's a huge incentive, isn't it? Oh, totally. And it's about because I want balance in my life. I'm not chasing having 20 clients on the go all the time. I don't want a big team of staff because I've been unwell, because I know my health is everything. I don't need to earn $3 million a year. You know, Although it'd be nice. It'd be lovely. But, you know, I'll do that. <laughs> but not if you're going to kill yourself to you do know, it. I'm, I happy, I'm happy for that to come through the franchise and scaling, but I don't need. You know, I'm happy to work with only a handful of clients at a time and really service them really well and get them a great outcome and then work with another client. I'm not like a lot of competitors who want 20 people on the go and it's all about making as much money as you can. So Yeah, it's like there are some agents who just watch them and it's new office, new office, new office, and it's like bed yourself down and get so that people can get to know you first. Yeah, so look, in, in peak periods, yes, I've worked five and a half days a week. Generally, my day would be a... I get to the office at 9.30 and I usually leave at 6. Um, oh, and I'll only work on a weekend if I've got auction bidding. And right now COVID's giving me a fantastic break just to focus on my franchise and blogging and, you know, award applications and whatever else is going on. Brilliant. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so you've given me – you've actually been so great. I don't know whether you've got another one, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is there a quirky fact – that you have that pe- most people don't know about you. I think you've told me so many great things. Well, I have to think about know. that. But I do remember when I was twenty-five. Do you remember the show Perfect Match? Yes, of course I do. Well, I was a single on Perfect Match. I was, Were you? Yeah, I had to go. Did to you the, get matched? Yeah, the, I was. I was picking. I had the three guys to pick. From. Oh my God! You were the single, and it was that little robot, wasn't it, Dexter? Yeah, that used Dexter, to... and um, uh, oh, oh my God! I've all, I used to watch it, and I always wondered what happened. So, what happened? <laughs> so, I was a single female. I was out at the studio at Channel Ten. They just had the whole week's worth of filming they did in one whole day. It's like the eighties version of The Bachelor, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Or actually. The Bachelorette, sorry, but not, but not as tacky, and and you didn't have to show flesh and sleep <laughs> no. with every second person. Um, so yeah, so I ended up... So who do you get matched with? I ended up being the last person on the last episode and we were filming at 10.30 at night. Right. And throughout the course of who was being picked, I knew that there were three guys left. I had a sense of who they were. I got told to pick the guy in the middle and he sounded like the best one anyway. What do you mean you got told? They told you Well, no, because they put, they put all of the women together. They put the women together? No, they put... I can't remember how, but they must have put all the singles together. The singles together. And we shared notes. And then they put all the people being selected from together. So I was with the single guys and they were telling me which guys of who who they knew of that I should have picked. And I would have picked the guy anyway. So I picked the, the dude in the middle. He was a really nice lad. He was from Sale, country Victoria. We ended up on a chaperoned weekend going to Launceston. Um, and we Talk were with, about hidden the big time. You know, we were with probably three other couples and there were some dysfunctional matches going on there. But we had a really fun time and the irony was that he tracked me down 
20 years later and found me on Facebook and we caught up. You know, we had a catch-up. You're catch kidding. Up. Yeah. So what, like just a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. It would have been maybe five years ago. And, and is he still single? Uh, no, I think he's been mar- he's been married and divorced. Ironically, and this was really interesting because this is another little fun fact, I was going for my motorcycle licence and he yeah. lived out near where I was going to be doing my test. And right. so I ended up catching up with him you know, staying overnight as a guest. He had his son there. We had dinner. He uh, raced motorcycles over many years and broke his back. So I don't know that that really oh. <laughs> that really inspired me to get my licence the next day or my <laughs> learner's permit the next day. But, yeah, we had a nice catch-up. I went off the next day, got my learner's permit. It scared the living hell out of me and I never got back on a bike ever since. Oh, my God. What a great story. That is the, I think that might be the best quirky fact yet. Fantastic. Um, that's brilliant. Okay, so now, just before the end, I do like to just ask silly questions about apps on phones, only because I'm obsessed with mine. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, some people have said, oh, no, I don't, I, you know, one one person told me that they've removed all the apps off their phone because that was, it was distracting them. But anyway, I, I don't know whether, are you a phone person? Yes, do you I, love I your am phone? a phone oh, person. Oh, good. Okay. So what are the two most useful apps on your phone, not including banking and I don't want social or banking, so what's left? The weather app, I have to say. Ooh, I yes. think being a Melbourne girl, and we have three seasons, <laughs> four seasons in a day. And we do. also with, you know, figuring out, okay, when can I go for a walk? When's it not going to be raining? When's it not too cold? When can I put the washing on the line? Yeah, all of that. So the weather app habitually every day I look at. And which one do you use? Just the one that comes with the phone? Yeah, no, I think I've got a different one, actually. I, I use one called Ozweather. Oh, okay. Um, no, I've got another one off the top. And there's another one. Hang on, I have to tell you because it's so funny. There's another one that I signed called W. WT forecast, what the forecast. <laughs> and it's just, it's all taking the mickey out of the weather every day. Um, so the weather app, uh, now you didn't want social, so I can't talk about those. Probably. Well, you can tell, which ones are your favourite socials, you can tell me. But as you like apps. So you... Facebook. So yeah. I probably keep up with friends interstate and overseas on Facebook and, and you do family. do much business on Facebook? Sorry, yep. Property Mavens, yeah, Property Mavens is on Facebook. I've got my own page, Miriam Sandcooler. Um, I do a lot on LinkedIn. So there's an app on LinkedIn as well. But, yeah, definitely Facebook religiously and definitely the weather app. Okay, brilliant. Well, that's good to know. And then, well, actually, I reckon Facebook is the fun app. Have you got another business one that you use? Not a business one, but for the fun one, I do do words with friends. So do I. Because oh, my God, we'll have to hook up. my ex-husband would never play Scrabble with me. So as soon as it came out on an app, I was hooked. And I'm a bit obsessed with it because usually first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is check out the weather, check out Words with Friends. And, and the last, and the last thing, thing before my, you go to bed. Yeah, last I thing do I, too. I do my Words with Friends. And well. roughly how many games do you have going at a time? I've got eight to ten going. <laughs> I have something like 25. Oh, no, and there's a many. little weird thing, though. I don't know whether you've noticed that with Word with Friends, that somehow or other it makes you finish at a different time to the person you're playing against and then asks both of you, like as soon as you've had your last go, it says, do you want to rematch? And it does the same thing to the other person. And if you say yes more you than three times, three you goes. suddenly find yeah. you're doing eight games with one person. Yeah, I've got that. I've had two two or three people where we're doing two or three games each and I've started dropping it off for that exact reason. It's like, no, well, one's enough. Well, let's go back to mothers. And my mum said to me, why won't you play words with friends with me? So I went, okay, we'll play it. 
and I'm not allowed to reject any of her requests because she said to me, I can't believe you're rejecting them. So I've got about 12 games going just with my mother and every time I try and peter them (laughs) off, so I never, ever start new games with her because she always starts them and we still seem to have... You know, 12 games going on. Does she all not time. have any other friends she can play with? <laughs> I've got three brothers and I don't think that they want to play words with friends. Or one of them is so good, I don't want to play with him either. Um, because well, he wins you really, all the... You really figure out your skill set. I mean, I'm a, as I've, I've written a book and, and I get smashed at times. There are a couple of friends in particular. One's got an MBA, that's my excuse. He slams me on words with friends all the time. Yes. So the challenge is always trying to beat him and on a rare occasion I do. So That's, that's exactly, I've got one up in Sydney who works for Sydney Uni and is super bright and I reckon one in every ten games I win. And I absolutely cheer from the rafters when I do. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, Miriam, thank you. Thank you so, so much for the chat today. It's been brilliant. I think it'll be a really interesting podcast for people to listen to. And you've kind of convinced me that if I ever decide I'm going to buy a house again, I'm going to an advocate. I reckon I think I'd like somebody on my side to do that negotiation. And also just because I'm, you know, and I wouldn't think I'm alone, not great at dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I'm much more excited about, you know, where the... the whether it's got a heated <laughs> towel rack in the bathroom <laughs> and whether I can fit my microwave in the... In the um, <laughs> You know, what was the other, in, in the, in the uh, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. You yeah. Like, it's all those kind of stupid things. I never think about the re-stumping and how the wiring is and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, brilliant. Well, thank you very, very much. You're very oh, welcome. Oh, I should just go, how do people get hold of you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, my website is propertymavens.com.au. So, that's M-A-V-E-N-S. Yep. Um, also on Facebook, on LinkedIn, it's Miriam Sandcooler. So, S-A-N-D-K-U-H-L-E-R. Phone number, oh, what have you got? It's all on there anyway. (laughs) Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. If you want to stay in touch, you might also like some of the other things that we've got going on with She's the Boss. Firstly, I've got the She's the Boss show, which is on Ticker TV. Now, you can watch that either on tickertv.com.au or you can download the Ticker app from any of the app stores. So Apple and Android, and they've got an app that is for your phone, for your iPad or tablet, and for the smart TV. Or you could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. The best way to do any of these things really is go to she'sthebossscomau and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. 